0: The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.
2: What else do you remember about that race?
3: Ja, yeah, also beim Schwimmen ist es so: im Vorfeld man macht sich wenig Gedanken darüber, man geht hin, man möchte das Beste, man setzt sich auch eine halbe Stunde.
1: When you're in the race, you to cannot to ponder be- what's going to happen, because when you get distracted, that's when you lose. You have to count your strokes, you have to, you have to make it happen.
2: Right, you just go out and swim.
3: Was Schlimmer ist, immer dann später die Zeiten zu bestätigen.
1: You just do not think, you just do your thing.
2: The 100-meter breaststroke is a short race, just to the other side of the pool and back. So it's highly technical.
3: It's all about the coordination between the arms and the legs. You
1: kind of have to glide through the water.
2: Sylvia Garrish is pulling herself down the swim lane. She's mid-race under the sharp fluorescent lights of a Moscow pool. It's like... No one else exists. It's just her in the water, pushing. Stroke by stroke by stroke. She concentrates on the turn, then kicks off the wall and glides into the home stretch. She's in the zone, and she's neck and neck with another swimmer.
1: You do see your competitors. Uh, You see kind of shadows, but of course you try to focus on your own race.
2: Up in the bleachers, the crowd can see that Sylvia, This 15-year-old swimmer from East Germany is leading by a hair. The two frontrunners are so close, they're almost in sync. The crowd whistles and cheers as the swimmers burst in and out of the water, launching forward with each gulp of air. It's the final stretch. In one powerful kick, Sylvia climbs ahead, and she keeps going, gaining speed till she's ahead by a half-body length. She's won, but in the adrenaline rush, she doesn't realize that she's done more than that.
1: When you arrive at at the end and and you just hear it, you hear it when when you uh, climb out of the pool, when everybody comes up to you and congratulates you.
2: She set a new world record for the 100 meter breaststroke.
1: Only during the award ceremony and then you really figure out what time you swam. And later when I got the news that I broke the world record, I did not realize it took about five minutes for me to really hit me and to say, yes, I I did it.
2: With a time of one minute and 8.29 seconds, she beat the time of that year's Olympic medalist by a full second and a half.
1: Of course, it's a shame that I wasn't able to participate. You know, I could have been there. I could have won the Olympic Games, but... Sometimes, you just have to accept.
2: I'm Kareem Maddox, and this is The Greatness. The Olympics aren't supposed to be about competition between countries. They're supposed to be about human potential. But if you've ever watched the Olympics, you know it's a different story. Countries care a lot about how many medals they rack up. Especially gold medals. Coming in first in the medals race looks good, both internationally and at home. That means Olympians are never just competing for themselves. They're competing for their country. And they're expected to be proud of it. But at 15, Sylvia Garish was an incredibly talented swimmer. And also just a kid.
1: At that age, you do not really think about politics. If anybody tells me they would think about it, I don't think so.
2: She didn't really understand what she was signing up for when she started swimming for the East German team.
3: Swimming to me was always, you know, the most wonderful hobby.
2: Well, you're you're world class in a hobby. <laughs> That's pretty special. <laughs>
3: Uh,
1: Of course, you know, when you have a certain uh, success, you have to meet them in public and the government uh, invites you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with the political uh, decisions they make.
2: Yeah. What does it mean to be an Olympian without being a patriot? When you're not proud of your country, should you still make that country proud? The
3: Soviet Union must pay a concrete price for their aggression.
2: The 1980 Games were set to take place in Moscow. It was the height of the Cold War.
3: While this invasion continues, we and the other nations of the world cannot conduct business as usual with the Soviet Union.
2: Tensions between America and the USSR were about to change the Olympics. Four months before the Games, President Jimmy Carter called a press conference.
3: I have notified the Olympic Committee that with Soviet invading forces in Afghanistan, neither the American people nor I will support sending an Olympic team to Moscow.
4: The athletes went to the White House to negotiate this with the president, to tell Mr. Carter, you're not gonna do this to us. You you can play politics, but you're not gonna take politics into the athletic arena. He said, not only are you not going, but I'm going to have the FBI confiscate your passports so you can't leave the country.
2: Dr. Steven Ungerleiter has written about sports during the Cold War. He says the U.S. withdrawal from the 1980 Games had a domino effect on Democratic nations around the world.
4: 34 other countries joined forces with the U.S. So that led to pretty much an empty house in Moscow.
2: A lot of top athletes didn't go to the Games that year. So the East German and Russian teams swept most of the medals. Now fast forward to 1984. The summer games are in Los Angeles, and the Russian government retaliates with a boycott of its own.
0: In East Germany tonight, there are reports of deep disappointment over the withdrawal from the Olympics. The East German government reportedly made the decision reluctantly, but felt it had to go along with the Soviet Union
2: which meant another round of talented athletes wouldn't compete at the highest level, including Sylvia. But the Soviet Union wanted a chance to show the world what its athletes could do. So it hosted a new international sports competition the same summer as the Olympics. The Friendship Games were held in Moscow and athletes from 49 different countries competed. That's where Sylvia broke the world record. She swam more than a second faster than that year's Olympic gold medalist. So that gold medal should have been hers. Sylvia had a world record and a gold medal, but not an Olympic gold. But she was young, talented, and confident. For a 15-year-old, four years till the next Olympic Games wasn't such a big deal.
1: I thought I'd just come back for the next Olympics.
2: She also had a state-of-the-art sports program behind her.
3: I
4: likened it to our White House having a director of transportation, a director of housing, and also sitting at the White House roundtable was a director of sport. And East Germany made the director of sport the number one priority over any other government.
2: So why were sports such a big deal in East Germany? Let me explain. East Germany was created after World War II. It became a Soviet satellite state, a small communist nation. By the 80s, it had technically been independent for 30 years, but the USSR still controlled a lot.
4: You didn't have an ambassador. You didn't have a federal trade commission. You didn't have a stock market where they could participate on the world stage.
2: East Germany wasn't financially independent, and it wasn't really politically independent. But maybe sports could help it build some recognition and influence.
4: When you go somewhere and you win eight races in a row and come home with a bucket of winnings, that's a pretty powerful statement.
2: The more medals, the better. So East Germany focused on events that other countries weren't investing in, like women's events. And sports where there were lots of medals to be won. Enter the women's swim team.
4: Every time they'd go out in a race, they would break world records, which is unheard of. They were showing the world that with very little they could
2: dominate. Recreational sports were a big domestic policy, too. The East German government made sure that sports were accessible to everyone sport was one sweet spot in what was otherwise hard living under the communist regime.
4: There was a lot of struggle just to get by. People did not have money. They had tiny apartments, often with no heat. Food was rationed. Nobody to speak of had a car unless you were higher up
2: in the communist party. And you couldn't just leave the country if you wanted to. The Berlin Wall was a highly militarized border designed to keep the Democratic West out and the East Germans in.
4: A lot of folks tried to breach the wall and were shot, murdered. It was a a very, very controlled state. Phone lines were tapped. For every one person in East Germany, there were two people who were Stasi spies, and they would get paid if they spied on a neighbor and found out something that was nefarious. It was a very,
2: very oppressive place. Sports were a way for people to blow off steam, a good distraction. The kind of populist entertainment that didn't cost the government too much. And sports celebrate ideals like collective identity, discipline, and recreation. It's no coincidence that all of these ideals dovetail nicely with the goals of a communist dictatorship. Recreational sports were also a place to scout raw talent.
4: They were taken at a very young age from kindergarten and evaluated for their strength and agility.
0: These children have been in training for years.
4: They would be looking for a certain physiology. Compulsory physical education begins in kindergarten. Performance and special
0: tests that assess suitability of a child's body type for swimming determine who was chosen.
4: And if they passed those tests, they were brought to these academies and removed from their parents. If a child shows special aptitude in the fourth grade, he will be chosen to go to a special sports school,
0: like the one at the Dynamo Club.
2: The SC Dynamo Club in Berlin was where Sylvia was sent to live and train when she was 12.
3: I have
1: to admit, I think I'm I'm kind of a, a prodigy, really. You know, it takes the talent. It takes, you know, a good position in the water. The water needs to like you. You have to have good technique and also you have to have the psychological setup for it.
2: Dynamo was East Germany's top swim club.
1: We had training scheduled in early morning. Then you would go to school. Then in the afternoons, you would do your sports.
4: You swam three hours in the morning before breakfast. You did a little study, had lessons
2: in emotional toughness. Steven Ungerlider visited aquatic centers around the world as part of his research. And Dynamo stood out from the rest.
4: This place was creepy. It was physically dark. I had windows, but not well lit. You, know, you think with all the money and the prestige, they would have put a plant or a flower or spruced it up a little bit.
2: But... Every detail of the training program at SC Dynamo was so calculated, it's possible even the bad lighting was intentional. The program was so extraordinary that in the late 70s, a PBS documentary crew went to Berlin to figure out how East Germany was producing so many great athletes. (laughs)
4: Performance tests are part of every practice. Each girl
0: swims a set distance and has to keep track of her times, strokes per minute, and pulse rate. This way, the coach can immediately detect a drop in performance and adjust the level of training.
2: There were controlled diets and a whole schedule of special supplements.
4: They called it vitamins. Doctors would say these are the best supplements we have and they're going to make you feel good, and you're going to recover faster, and you're going to feel stronger after lunch, and you won't be as fatigued.
2: East Germany had its athlete's success down to a science, including the perks. Having an elite athlete in the family was a major advantage.
4: You're going to get a car, your an apartment, you'll probably get a stipend, a bonus check, and your young daughter would be treated well. You'd probably say, yeah, we'll buy into it
2: but it all came with an emotional cost.
4: The directors of sport and the handlers and the Stasi police did not want parents or siblings or anybody to interact with their superstar athletes.
2: As a preteen, Sylvia spent long days training at SC Dynamo. It was grueling and it worked. When she broke that record at the 1984 Friendship Games, it was clear that Sylvia could be an Olympic gold medalist. So her training picked up, more hours in the pool, more conditioning. In 1986, she broke two more world records. First, the 200-meter breaststroke at the race in Moscow. And then she shattered her previous 100-meter world record in Madrid, shaving almost 10 seconds off her best time. The East German government gave her a major award called the Star of People's Friendship. At the rate she was swimming, she'd be a national hero by 1988, but by the time she was 16, Sylvia had started to want her life to be about more than swimming.
1: When I was young, there were so many things I I was not able to perceive yet or to process, but we gradually start to think. There was a certain nightlife possible in Berlin, but you, anything you would do, would do that under observation. There's so much compromising you have to do uh, with your private life. There, there's so much things you know you have to renounce and you cannot do.
2: Sylvia was learning that her success was making her into a political tool for East Germany.
1: I had been urged to join the Socialist Party. That was one of the requirements. And I did not agree with some uh, political um, things they did.
4: The term that we floated very generously around all the athletes as diplomats in betting suits.
1: When you have problems with the system and, and you don't wish to work for them anymore, and then I, I stopped loving the sport.
2: Sylvia told her coaches she wanted out, but her coaches had other plans.
1: I had been told that it wasn't allowed to, to discontinue, to stop it. And I said, you know, I cannot represent the country.
2: The 1988 Olympics in Seoul were coming up. No boycotts this time. The best in the world would be there. Pressure was on for East German athletes to perform. They were told they had to win. For their country, for their futures, and for their families.
1: I would train less than the other swimmers because my body would simply not allow it, and that caused problems with my coaches.
4: When she did complain... The coaches would rat her out.
1: People would watch others and would tell others.
4: Anything you would do, we'd do that under observation. Why did you make a phone call complaining about your workout? You had to keep your mouth shut and stay focused.
1: You would stop talking to them about personal matters, saying, okay, this is my personal side. I'm not sharing this information with you. And whenever you would commit a political error of faux pas, that would be noticed.
4: So she could trust nobody. And she was told, hey, you quit. Your parents won't be getting the bread on the table. That car that we loaned them, that's going to disappear from your driveway.
1: We traveled abroad quite a bit, and they would always fear that we would stay abroad and not return.
4: People would show up and say, we hear that you're not happy with sister, and you want to leave. You know, Sylvia, that's not an option.
3: She said, no, I'm not going to buy into this. I'm out of here.
1: There was a point when you just could not take it anymore.
2: Sylvia realized if East Germany wouldn't let her quit swimming, all she could do was make herself undesirable. In the preliminary races for the German national championships in 1988, She made her first move.
1: I I was standing on the start block and I said, you know what I'm actually doing here? You know, when you stand on the start block and and ask yourself a question like that, when you question yourself, then you should actually just jump off and, and, and be done with it. So I just swam slowly, so I would not be selected for the games anymore.
2: Sylvia is at the height of her powers. She's a world-class swimmer, breaking records left, right, and center. She has a whole career ahead of her and probably a real shot at the 88 games. But on some level, I get it. Competitive sports require so much of you. And when you add the specific intensity of the East German system, a normal-ish life sounds appealing. For Sylvia, East German politics left her with no choice but to sabotage the race, to swim slow, and to throw away all that training and her sports dreams in a way that most athletes never have to. I imagine it was difficult because you were a competitor for so long that you always want to win, to lose a race, and especially on purpose, that, it can't, that's not an easy decision.
3: Yeah, danke. But it is so. Ich meine schwimmen ist es im Einzelsport. I think this is the difference between
1: the individual sports and team sports. Uh, You would never, you know, get to that point in a team sport. If you play in a basketball team, you would not do that to your team, you know, because you would drop out immediately and say, you know, I'm not going to play today. But as an individual, you take the decision for yourself.
2: Right. But you are a member of your country's team. In a way, right?
3: Yeah, but then not mehr. Also damit bin ich ja raus aus dem Nationalteam, weil ich habe bin ja Olympia nicht gestartet.
1: Yeah, but this was the point when I really actually left the national team. I know it's difficult to relate, but you really have to have lived in this time, and I just saw that it's, it's not working anymore.
2: Sylvia swam badly all through 1988. By the time Olympic qualifiers came around, the East German Swimming Federation deemed her psychologically unable to compete.
1: I left the team. I was actually happy. I took this decision even if this was bad for my career, but to me it was important to be able to look into the mirror and and be happy with my decision.
2: Sylvia got to stop being a diplomat in a bathing suit. To stop being a political pawn. But Politics change. Sylvia did have to stop swimming. But not for long. Hi, my name's Ben Lewis, host of the new series Art Bust, scandalous stories of the art world. I'll explore some of the most shocking art crimes and biggest
0: scandals. I know it's a cliché, but it's a cliché because it's true. There's no honour among thieves. I would like the European and Western countries, including the United States,
2: to recognise their crimes.
1: It's about murder in the name of art.
2: Tune into Art Bust, scandalous stories of the art world, an Antica and USG audio production, available wherever you get your podcasts. I've spent a lot of the past three years training for this year's Olympics in Tokyo. And in the months leading up to the qualifying tournament, except for a few of these interviews here and there, basically my whole life was basketball. I felt ready physically. I knew I had it in me to make it to the games. Our qualifying tournament was in May, and we'd have to finish in the top three to make it to Tokyo. But in the final stretch, things got tricky. A few days before we were set to travel to Austria for the tournament, one of my teammates went down with a back injury. That meant bringing in a new player and trying to build some chemistry in less than a week. In the end, we weren't able to bring it together. Not well enough, anyway, to get past the quarterfinal game that we needed to win. We lost that game 21-16. We didn't make it. I'm not going to the Olympics this year. And it's rough the next summer games are in 2024 and to be honest three years feels like an eternity because it's not like you can just put your skills up on a shelf for three years while you do something else and then dust them off a few weeks before the next qualifiers being a contender for 2024 would mean daily maintenance more traveling more competitions and more keeping other parts of my life on hold I'm not sure I'll be able to do that. But Sylvia did it, more than once. It's the 1992 Olympic qualifying race in Barcelona. Sylvia is 23 years old on a mat rolled out by the side of the pool. In the half hour before the competition, the pool is buzzing. Coaches give pep talks, swimmers stretch and pace. The crowd settles in as an announcer runs through the lineup. But Sylvia is still.
3: Also, beim Schwimmen ist es so im Vorfeld. Man macht sich wenig Gedanken darüber. Man geht hin. Man möchte das Beste. Man setzt sich auch eine.
1: You have to prepare psychologically before any race. You would be sitting there for half an hour and just reflect on how you would work, how you would work out the strokes.
2: She's visualizing the race she's about to swim.
1: You have your stopwatch and you time yourself and and you walk through all the the stages.
2: It's eight years after Sylvia's world record. She knows how to win this race.
1: You already pre-process everything you're going to do. And then you have 33 or 34 strokes until the flip turn. You touch the wall, but you do not have much time to think.
2: In her head, she sees herself slamming the wall, coming up out of the water to the roar of the crowd. Then, she hears the announcer call her name. It's go time. She climbs up onto the starting block, pulls on her goggles, takes a deep breath, and dives. Sylvia is swimming again, but this time, it's for a different Germany than the one she walked away from four years earlier. In 1989, the Cold War reached a breaking point. After 40 years of communist rule, protesters toppled the Berlin Wall. Germany could finally become one country again. For East German athletes, a unified Germany meant sports would no longer be a national priority. But a lot of athletes were so burnt out from the pressures of competing for East Germany that they just left sports entirely.
4: They were just exhausted from all the hardships of the East system. There was a lot of emotional distress, a lot of depression, a lot of athletes committed suicide. Many
2: athletes couldn't hold jobs. Sylvia had quit swimming before the wall fell.
1: I, I did not envision myself returning to the competitive sport. So I just went into banking, and, and what I do now is accounting, I do financial statements, and so on.
2: But one night, she was watching the World Championships on TV. She saw the breaststrokers' times, and something shifted.
3: When I saw, you know, the times they swam,
1: I reconsidered. And I thought, you know what, you can do that. The turning point was really, you know, uh, when the entire political scenario changed and and when also the the political tension was neutralized. And then I all of a sudden felt uh, that I'm really looking forward to swimming again.
2: At 22, Sylvia got back in the water. This time, she didn't have a team or a coach. And maybe for the first time, she didn't have a desperate government watching her around the clock. In less than a year, she got her times back up to where they were when she quit. And soon enough, Sylvia was on a new team, the German national team. At that year's European Sprint Swimming Championships, she won the bronze medal. When it's time to qualify for the 92 Olympics, Sylvia is ready.
1: When the whistle blows, how do I dive in?
2: Swimmers from East and West Germany stand together on the block.
1: 33 or 34 strokes until the flip turn.
2: The results of this race determine who will represent Germany on the unified team.
1: You touch the wall.
2: But when she reaches the end of her race, it takes her a minute to register how she did.
1: I barely missed the nomination for the Olympic Games.
2: She misses the qualifying time by point zero zero three seconds.
1: Of course, I was heartbroken and, and that was, you know, some tears because we just had one competition for the nomination and there was a lot of pressure on us and you really had to have your psychological mindset all set to win that.
2: She passed on her shot at the 88 Olympics and lost her shot at the 92 games.
1: But that is actually part of being an athlete. And you have your ups and your downs, and this is what really makes you strong. And and some things you just have to have the philosophy to say, I cannot change it, lesson learned, and I will try again next time.
2: Maybe it was all that East German psychological strength training paying off. Sylvia regrouped, and she set her sights on the 96 games. She was still only 23 years old and still swimming strong. But then a couple of things happened that would call her entire swimming career into question. First, at the World Championships in 1993, Sylvia got slapped with a two-year doping suspension for caffeine.
1: I just had drunk a
4: couple of um, cups of coffee.
2: Steven Ungerleider says the doping code shifts constantly.
4: Sometimes caffeine is on the list, sometimes it's off the list. Unfortunately, she got caught up in this particular time frame when the caffeine
2: was on. Eventually, the charges against Sylvia were dropped, but not soon enough for her to qualify for the 96 Olympics.
1: Of course you tell yourself, I'm unlucky once again. You have to just keep on going.
2: Maybe it was just bad luck. But Steven Ungerleiter suspects that there were other forces at play. They tried to
4: keep her off the team because they claimed that she was a former East German doper.
2: Rumors had been circulating for a long time about those East German vitamins.
0: For years, the East Germans ran a national sports program that was both envied and resented because of their overemphasis on sport their win-at-all-cost attitude and their alleged use of performance-enhancing drugs. I knew and everybody knew that they had cheated and that they were on steroids.
2: Those rumors seemed to be confirmed in the 90s, when troves of Stasi files were uncovered with full details about East German athletics.
4: It's all laid out sheet by sheet by sheet. How many drugs they took, what milligram doses, they document everything
2: meticulous records of anabolic steroids strategically administered to East German athletes to swell their muscles without raising flags on doping tests.
4: These had never been clinically tested, never gone through a clinical trials, and of course there were terrible side effects.
0: The performance-enhancing drugs left a string of health problems that go side by side with her Olympic medals. A deep voice, a miscarriage, and gynecological damage.
2: By 1998, many female swimmers from East Germany had gone public about serious medical problems.
3: I had a total breakdown of my immune system after the games. I was hospitalized with an acute ovary infection. A blood test showed I had an overdose of male
0: hormones.
2: Once word got out, a group of retired East German swimmers decided to press charges.
0: The criminal investigation expected to go to the very top of the former East German government.
2: Athletes testified that they were forced into doping or misinformed about what they were taking. Several swimmers even handed back their medals. Sylvia tried to stay out of the whole thing. She was still trying to get to the Olympics and she needed to keep training and stay focused. But eventually, a Berlin court subpoenaed her too. Sylvia was in a bind. If she admitted to knowingly taking the drugs, her past athletic records would be questioned, and she could be banned from swimming at future Olympic games. On the other hand, saying she hadn't been exposed to any steroids in East Germany meant letting down her former teammates who were counting on her to support their case.
4: I think she was caught in a crossfire. It was a no-win situation.
2: All she wanted was finally to go to the Olympics.
4: It was a very dicey period because she didn't really know one day to the next whether she would have permission to waver to swim.
2: The New York Times reported that Sylvia told police that she was given some pink pills, but didn't take them. Instead, she says she threw them into a fish tank and over time, the female fish started to look more like the males. But later on the witness stand, Sylvia said she never got any pills, that police had ghostwritten the fish tank story. When I asked Sylvia more about this period in her life, it seemed like, even 20 years later, it was still a touchy subject. <laughs>
1: There is a lot of things are are, are written, but they are not always true. And since you mentioned the pink pills, I know of others who threw in in pills into fish tanks, but um, I have not done it and I don't know if there have been any changes in the fish. I never took those because I myself am allergic to many things. And so I'm very reluctant to take any um, medication at all. And actually, I really cannot contribute much to that topic because I was out of that.
2: I can't imagine being in this position, choosing to sabotage your own career so you can get a little political freedom. After all of that, Sylvia worked her way back onto a team in a new country And on the verge of finally having a swimming career, on her own terms, this high-profile trial comes along to dig up her trauma, discredit her past success, and distract her at a key moment in her training. Even for someone trained to be tough, that's enough to make most people call it quits. But Sylvia wanted to swim, at the Olympics. So she kept going.
0: Lane 5 and Lane 6, just 15 year olds
4: Liesl Jones from Australia. I was Liesl there in 2000, in Sydney, and I'm sitting there with a colleague of mine, and I'll never forget, I'm looking up at the board, and they say, Garash, Sylvia. Lane
0: eight, the former world record holder in this event, Sylvia Garish, and she said it years ago. She's 31 years old, so a big age difference here between Garish, 31, and Juan just...
4: 16 years old. And I turned to my buddy, and I said, wait a minute, is that the same from the garage? And he says, well, it has to be.
2: It's the 100-meter women's breaststroke final, and the racers mount their blocks. Sylvia puts on her goggles. She dives in.
0: One in lane five, just above her, is Purvey in lane four from South Africa. Going out early very quickly.
4: How could it be that she made it to the Sydney Olympics? Leading into these games, but had a slew of world records that she set last year.
2: The moment was 16 years in the making.
4: She had made it. She persevered. I was shocked. I was impressed. To be 31 and to make the team, or even qualify, It's so competitive at that age. Your body changes and there's so many youngsters coming in at 14, 15, 16. It's hard to imagine but there are people out there who are physiologically capable. And in Sylvia's case, mentally tough. She's just really tough.
2: You were swimming against some swimmers that were half your age. You know, they were the age that you were when you started in 84. Were you aware of that when the race was beginning?
1: I think age was not an issue. I did not think about the age because um, I felt young at that time.
2: What did it mean to you to finally make it to the Olympics in in 2000, Sydney?
1: Of course, I felt like a queen because that was a dream come true. And it, it was a magnificent feeling. Australia has a very strong uh, swimming uh, community of fans also. And you meet uh, fellow athletes and you also go and, and watch other events in other sports.
3: And that was just wonderful.
2: Was the stadium full? Was it loud? Can you hear anything underwater?
1: Yes, you can hear it. You can hear it in the water, under the water. And the atmosphere was fantastic.
2: Sylvia finally swam her Olympic race. She came in eighth place, last. She was also a part of the four x 100 meter relay team. They placed fourth.
1: Of course, I was not so happy, but this is what happened.
2: It wasn't the gold medal she could have won if she'd had the chance when she was 15. But finally, she was there. I'm an American athlete. And when I win for America, I don't feel like my win says my government's the best, or I agree with every idea that comes out of America. I just feel like I'm saying my team is the best. And since my country gave me the jersey, I'm also saying that my country does this well. But that's just not how everyone sees it. When a competitor stands on the podium, in that moment, they're a national symbol. Just like the flag that's flying and the anthem that's playing. Some countries take that further. Your match, your race, your game. It's not your own.
3: ich uh, say, Politik and Sport sollten nie miteinander verbunden werden
1: it's my opinion that politics should never be connected with sports. Sports should be disconnected from prejudice, and we should come back to the Olympic idea of the sports itself.
2: When she finally made it to the Games, Sylvia was swimming for herself. During our interview, Sylvia noted that basketball is a team sport and that swimming is individual. They're different. But for both of us. There have been factors beyond our control when it comes to the Olympics. I guess that's probably true for every athlete. For Sylvia, it was politics. For me, it was a pandemic among other things. But still, after so much hustle, I wanted to believe that skill and willpower would be enough. But sometimes the weather's bad or your team doesn't come together. Sometimes you just have a bad day the Olympics will always be about more than individual performance. But Sylvia gave me a little boost.
1: Well, you know, don't lose hope, you will make it to the Olympics. You don't have to wait that long.
2: <laughs> this episode was produced by Jess Shane. With production support from Mitchell Johnson, Alex Sujong Laughlin, Greta Weber, and Lacey Roberts. Barbara LaRum was our German interpreter. We also had production assistance from Debbie Daughtry. Our executive editor is Sarah Nix. Executive producing by me, Kareem Maddox, along with Greta Cohn, Josh Block, and Jessica Grimshaw. Sound design by Alex Overington. Jasmine Flott is our music supervisor. This is a USG Audio podcast in collaboration with Transmitter Media. For more information, go to our website, usgaudio.com.